Hello, and welcome to this second episode of Eight Minute Movies. Maybe it's the title, maybe it's the subtitle. Here's the thing. That's uh, that's what it's called. Here's the thing. It's de- Here's the thing. We're definitely not Alec Baldwin. Hello, uh, I'm Kieran, and I am Peter. That is true. And together, we are a circus act. I fly on the trapeze, and Peter holds a baboon. How are you doing this evening, Peter? Uh, I could do with putting this baboon down. Yeah, it's pretty fucking heavy. Um, yes, uh, we, uh, we've watched the first eight-minute segment, and we have just watched the second eight-minute segment, so we get to find out now, first of all, how I did on my predictions, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Yes, first of all, I was going to remind everyone about the concept behind the show. Ah, uh, but you've preempted me somewhat, so uh, why don't you explain the concept behind the show as a punishment? <laughs> Very well. I have not prepared this. We are going to watch The Thing in eight-minute chunks. Uh, we are two through that, as I just explained, and uh, we're going to discuss each eight-minute chunk. Kieran being somewhat of an expert in The Thing, favorite film, knows a lot about it, has prepared for this podcast. Me... Um, Kieran's friend who does not know the film nearly so well, but has been forced to see it on several occasions just through proximity to Kieran. Uh, and, uh, I, so I do not know very much, but I'm going to generate some opinions about it as I watch. Uh, as part of this, I am also being forced to predict what happens next at the end of each eight minute chunk. Wow, that that was concise and excellent. Thank you very much. Uh, during that, I actually noticed that I'm wearing a The Thing t-shirt, which like may be bordering on dangerously obsessed. I, I honestly didn't put this mm. on deliberately or anything. <laughs> yeah, it's just that you lay your hand on any one t-shirt in your connection, there's like a 50-50 chance yeah, it's, it's... The Thing t-shirt, really. Oh, dear. So, Peter, what did you think of the first eight minutes of the thing that we watched precedently to this? Yes, so I uh, I enjoyed it. I liked um, how it slowly weaved in these little mysteries, um, mm. and thought it was nice and tense. Good use of music. Um, very good. good start. Good. Now, um, I have some facts for you and uh, and a little bit of information. Previously, we spoke about some of John Carpenter's other films briefly. Uh, his Apocalypse trilogy came up uh, in the last podcast. So let's, uh, let's, let's explore those a little bit before we get started. Okay. All right, so The Thing is the first of the Apocalypse trilogy, and we'll get to that later. Mm-hmm. Um, the next film in this series is uh, Prince of Darkness, a 1987 supernatural horror film. And I'm, I'm just going to go with these synopsis that I'm just stealing from Google. Uh, a priest, played by Donald Pleasance, finds a vial filled with slime in a church basement. He gathers together scholars and scientists to investigate it, who eventually learn that the strange liquid is the essence of Satan. The slime begins to seep out and starts picking them off one by one while trying to cause the apocalypse. Okay. That's the synopsis. I, I like that it's got Donald Pleasance in it. John Carpenter does seem to like working with Pleasance. He was in Halloween, of course. Um, it's a real shame that he isn't in the thing because uh, Donald Pleasance can play someone who's mad very, very well. I, <laughs> I, I wonder why he's he actually wasn't cast for this. 
Mm. Yeah, in the film, he's the only person who takes the threat of the mysterious floor slime seriously all the way through, and he just gets more and more intense as the movie goes on. Uh, the creature effects in it sort of hold up. Like, like the creature effects hold up well, actually. Um, the other effects are a little bit flaky now, like a um, uh, a character whose head gets chopped off and then sort of comedically pops their head back on. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> because it's a scary fluid, it's often doing things that water, it just water, which it obviously is, isn't capable of doing, like running up walls or splashing on the ceiling. And it's very clear that they've just filmed it upside down and turn, turned the footage upside down in the camera. Yes, that is how I'd do it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the uh, another, another thing that I noticed was uh, there's a lot of shots where uh, like some sort of spectral force is leaving people through their mouths. And I guess the only way they could do it at the time was to shoot them side on and have just some smoke coming out of their something that's behind their mouth on the side but okay. it looks like yeah so that effect has not aged particularly <laughs> well but there are some that are excellent like there's a, a bit with a magic mirror maybe we'll get to um prince of darkness at some point in this series i'm pretty sure i have never seen that yeah yeah you, you might not have uh, or the the next film and the final one in the apocalypse trilogy is in the mouth of madness have you seen that one uh, the name doesn't really ring a bell, apart from when you mentioned it before. Mm. Well, it's a 1994 horror film, uh, and the synopsis is uh, a horror novelist called Sutter Kane goes missing, and an insurance investigator played by Sam Neill starts investigating and trying to retrieve an as-yet-to-be-released manuscript and find the writer, which leads him to a mysterious supernatural town in New Hampshire. Uh, there's, there's lots and lots of... Um, Stephen King allusions in that film. Um, all of Sutter Kane's books have Stephen King-style covers. His name sounds quite a lot like Stephen King. Okay. Um, he's obsessed with a, a small town in New Hampshire. I mean, Stephen King has Maine. In this film, it's called Hobbs End. Uh, and, uh, sorry, what year did you say that came out? Uh, 1994. So that's the more recent of the three. Okay, so was that filmed pre or post Jurassic Park? Uh, it must have been post for Sam Neill, because Jurassic Park was 1993, wasn't it? Yeah, I was just trying to figure out where it was in Sam Neill's career. Mm. Mm. Yeah, he he is very good. Sam Neill, again, is someone who can play someone going insane very, very convincingly, and he does it in, in The Mouth of Madness. Um, and it, he keeps experiencing strange things, and he, he thinks they're all part of a publicity stunt by the um, publishing house. But eventually it becomes clear to him that everything is real and everything is going wrong. Um, and it, I, I quite enjoy it because it has a deeply nihilistic ending like The Thing does, mm. which we will get to, I imagine, at some point. So I'm not sure I've seen that film either. Yeah, no, no, you probably haven't, um, given that you were uh, raised in a cave as an experiment until the age of 31. I feel like these films that, in particular are not particularly commonly seen films. I don't know, actually. Uh, in the Math of Madness was very, very popular. Yeah, but um, I was 12. I was 12. <laughs> <laughs> All right, yeah, it probably wasn't 18. Right. Um, so... Yes. Uh, is it is it just the bleakness of where these films go? That that is that why it's the Apocalypse trilogy, or is there some other underlying reason why that's yeah? It's, it's got that name. I think that's the case, but also I think uh, the world ends at the end of all three of them, uh, which well question mark right? <laughs> am, yeah, ambiguously about the thing, but again, we'll get mm. to that. 
there's a there's a sort of Lovecraftian cosmic horror feel to uh, In the Mouth of Madness, which I quite like as well. Okay, well, it's, it's got a similar name to a Lovecraft story, mm. I guess. Mm, that's true, that's true. Um, the only other film I have uh, noted down here that we mentioned before was is not part of the trilogy, but it's a film that John Carpenter did before The Thing, and it's called The Fog. Ah, yes, The Fog. You haven't seen The Fog, I assume. I don't think so, no. Given the other films that I've described to you so far, what do you think happens in The Fog? Oh, I don't know. There's a fog and everyone dies. Um, so that's, <laughs> that's basically where I would guess this goes. Uh, so The Fog was uh, a 1980 film. And here's the synopsis. As a California coastal town prepares to commemorate its centenary, the local reverend stumbles across a dark secret about the town's founding, and a mysterious fog descends upon the village, and people start to die. So, like, that's not too far from, from what you get. Yeah, that's what I said. There's a fog and people die. die. Like... <laughs> Are you writing these synopses for Google? Um, Apparently I could. But... <laughs> um perhaps off topic but i did i did enjoy reading the google synopsis for goldeneye uh which was clearly written by someone who's never seen goldeneye good it's just broad strokes about james bond is here and he saves the day i'm like did you see the film okay (laughs) saves the day from and or joins up with goldeneye who is a person or possibly an organization. Um. <laughs> yes, uh, the synopsis is, is uh, about as good as one of my um, secondary school book reports. <laughs> <laughs> Spoiler alert, I didn't read the books either. Um, yeah, so in the fog, a uh, hundred years after the town is founded, um, a secret about the founding is discovered. The founders of the town turn out to be wreckers who lured a boat loaded with gold to the shore to crash. And then they use the gold to fund the town. And a hundred years later, a mysterious fog covers the town and the ghosts of the crew of the ship move through it, hunting down the descendants of the town founders. When you put it like that, it sounds a little bit like the plot of Pirates of the Caribbean. <laughs> yeah, I suppose so. But I don't remember, but there's, I think there's almost no decapitation in Pirates of the Caribbean. Mm. Are there any pirates in, um, in this film? In The Thing? No, no, not in The Thing. <laughs> i'm pretty sure there aren't any pirates in the thing well yeah, I don't, who knows I, the norwegians I, maybe um i don't want to spoil it for you but i don't think there are any pirates in the thing no they're not pirates but you know they they are really they have hooks for hands and whatnot okay like they don't say anything but if they did say something they'd fucking say yar mm. Yeah, as we brought up last time, uh, the leader of the pirates, Captain Blake, I said pirates, they're not pirates, they're sailors. The leader of the sailors <laughs> is played by Rob Bettine, who did the special effects, the um, creature effects for the thing. It's um, it's quite a good, thrilling zombie film. It's quite quite a tight movie. It's sort of concentrating on the descendants as they all get picked off one by one. It's got a little twist ending, which is kind of exciting. Cool. Yeah, so that's everything we have about the films that we mentioned last time. And you actually had some questions for me last time, which I didn't immediately have answers for. So I've I've spent the weeks since we last spoke scouring libraries and basically just Googling the answers to all of those questions you had for me. So so are you, are you ready? Are you ready for the long delayed answers to the questions you asked me? I am very ready. All right. Do film unions have rules for the orders of credits? 
yes yes they really do uh <laughs> okay they absolutely do especially for opening credits your order you uh i know you don't have your list of credits to hand but the order generally boils down to the major companies involved which uh-huh. is interesting in this case because they had to get special permission from universal to skip putting them at the start of the film but they still put the name though right uh i believe so yeah uh you've got top billing so that's going to be kurt russell and yep. keith david your prime stars supporting cast casting director which i don't think they had music composer that was near the beginning yeah it was yeah costume designer associate producers editors we definitely had one of those mm-hmm. uh production designer mm-hmm. director of photography and i remember that came up yep. because it was dean cundy um executive producer producer writers and finally director so yeah i I was wrong because i thought the director would be higher build but no basically last in the list yeah i feel like it wasn't quite in that order because from what i remember all the all the producer roles came in in a line Mm. um but uh but yeah that that sounds approximately like the order that it appeared in sure yeah i mean plus it might have changed in the last 30 years that's true Um, yeah uh, is the National Science Institute a real thing? I said it was, and I was completely wrong. Um, the United States has something of the equivalent. It's called the National Science Foundation. It was founded in 1950 and exists to promote the progress of science, which um, sounds like a 50s B-movie organization, but cool. Uh, they do have a number of bases in Antarctica, so that's legit. Presumably the National Science Foundation or whatever it is did not want to be associated with this or, I'm, or, or they something. Did, or they just didn't ask. I mean, <laughs> or they just didn't ask. There actually is something called the National Science Institute, but it was founded in 1994 and closed in a cryptocurrency scandal in 2018, so it doesn't seem relevant here. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> How is Norge pronounced? <laughs> okay come on then uh, um, it turns out it just means norway in norwegian which is fair enough to write on the side of one of your helicopters i suppose yes. <laughs> and it's pronounced norge okay uh I, I i practiced that a lot i hope it's right if you're norwegian and you're listening to this write in <laughs> um and <laughs> we've got one final question uh why can't helicopters fly upside down right okay <laughs> Uh, we both we both agreed that they couldn't, and it turns out they can. It is possible, though only briefly and usually only done during stunt shows, because the main problem with flying upside down is that the rotors slice through the tail during the flip, and then you don't have a helicopter anymore. You have a flying ball of debris. Uh-huh. I'm pretty sure the whole thing of it being just extremely difficult to control upside down must be a thing as well. Yeah, yeah. I I don't think they do it routinely at all, yeah. no. But but it is technically possible. Okay. Right. That's all the questions we have time for. That's not that's not how I should have said that. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess we have to move on to the meat of the podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh where we talk about the thing, or rather the next eight minutes of it. Minutes eight to 16, if you're playing along at home, in which case, why are you? Yes. So I suppose the way that we should uh, do this is go through the next few things that happen and uh, see how I did with my predictions. 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so just for the listener at home, I'm going to remind everyone of what your options you gave last time were. And we had the two options of your what happens next as fly off and crash or scuffle and shoot. So I was going to ask you which you felt was right, but you've watched it now, so you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, last time I think I said I... I, I preferred fly off and explode yeah you did you, you did lean towards that one which unfortunately yeah is not the right answer well I, I, well let's go through what actually happens because i'm going to argue that both of those answers are half right <laughs> <laughs> there's no there's no half points around here that there are i gave you a whole bunch of them during that yeah. game we played last time okay i will now read through the headings like we did last time of the little 30 seconds of action between each shot and we can talk about anything that comes up in them if we like again this is not like a commentary podcast this is just some mad bullshit i thought up once and thought would be fun and is oh good thank god (laughs) all right so we start at eight minutes in with the dog jumps up on bennings the pilot drops a grenade right um, uh, these grenades don't seem like the best idea to me. <laughs> to be honest, I mean, it slips out of his it slips out of his gloved hand, mm. which is fair enough, I guess. I mean, he is wearing like uh, cold weather gloves. But what was he planning to do with it anyway? I mean, was he just going to kill all the men standing by the dog as well? It's an interesting question. Uh, I, I, I for one, did not remember a grenade mishap happening in this film. That's just something that I'd completely forgotten happened. Um, hmm. I did sort of remember a helicopter explosion. Yeah. Which is, uh, I, I, I guess, why I thought there might be a helicopter crash hmm. near the beginning of the film. But, you no, know, the helicopter explosion was caused by a... A, a grenade mishap rather than a piloting mishap there is a helicopter crash in the thing prequel maybe i was getting them mixed up because i have seen the thing bring pre- pringle the thing <laughs> i have seen the thing prequel um, um i'm leaving that in <laughs> fair enough really um, <laughs> the thing pringle um yeah also um fair enough i mean like he's so he's throwing his grenades to get the dog he drops it and then he starts digging for it in the snow, which strikes me as a very bad idea. Is oh, is that what was happening? I I didn't think that he was digging for it in the snow. I thought that he was trying to bury it under additional snow <laughs> um, as a kind of last desperate measure to to handle this problem. No, he dro- he drops it and then he he starts scuffling in the hole where it's thing to try and retrieve it. Okay. presumably to then throw it but like grenades have fuses in the yeah. measure with times measured in the seconds yeah. so i i'm i'm no military man at all but i imagine the advice given if you drop a grenade by your feet is just run the fuck away right now Yeah, you just uh you just run away wouldn't you mm. really the helicopter explodes killing the pilot mm. while he's digging around in there you actually get a shot where you can see that it's not really a grenade it's a thermite canister or a thermite bomb which um sort of makes more sense for them to have lying around i suppose okay you would use thermite to melt things out of ice and indeed they do in the 1950s thing film the gunner shouts at them in norwegian 
All right. Uh, so uh, a thought I had here is that you know it, it's it's fairly well known at least these days that uh, a lot of people in um, Scandinavian countries have extremely good English. It's very common to be good at the language and very common to at least just have a little bit on hand. Um, and I wonder how true that was back in 1982 and how likely it was that they'd find the one Norwegian who couldn't just shout something like dog bad <laughs> at, at the base crew here. Yeah, uh, that's a good point. I, I don't have statistics on... Um... English language learning in Norway in the 1980s. Damn my lack of preparation. But um, I know we we shouldn't really be using the prequel as a primary source here because it came out 30 years after this film. Um, But in that, they kind of try and fill this hole by him being literally the only Norwegian in the the base who doesn't speak any English at all. Uh, Um, Right, okay. So they they do actually address that, do they? I I didn't realize that they... Yeah, I'm, I mean, I feel like they're trying to backfill a bit, maybe. But yeah. um, anyway, uh, even if you do exclude it, I think in the book he's... It's kind of implied that he can speak English, but he's having a real bad day. Okay. <laughs> so so um, he's just turned up and he's in a panic and like his best friend has just been exploded and he's mm-hmm. got a gun and he's got to kill that dog before it kills everyone there so it's kind of implied or hand waved away in the book that he um and he knows at least some english but isn't cognizant of it right now makes sense um he fun fact he is actually spoiling the plot of the film for you if you speak a little norwegian uh (laughs) oh really okay that that's a that's a good point actually i didn't even think to um uh to wonder what uh, what he was saying so what is he saying uh, yeah, he he says, "Get the hell away! It's not a dog. It's a thing. It's imitating a dog. It's not real. Get away, idiots!" And then he shoots. Okay, so um, I can't confirm this, but it seems that in Norway, uh, he's actually been dubbed over in Czech. So, oh, okay. yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> yes, yeah, because otherwise, in in norway they would have dubbed the film into norwegian and he's speaking norwegian so um apparently if they just need another country language they'll dub it into something else like chosen more or less at random okay um, apparently the thing was was in check I, I like i say i haven't been able to double check that <laughs> i get it <laughs> <laughs> oh dear moving on oh, the gunner shoots at the dog Bennings is shot in the leg. Sorry, I was just all I was going to say there. Uh, although it's maybe a bit too early to really be having this discussion, is how effective are, are, are do we know guns to be on things? I guess is the question. Um, it comes up a little in the script mm. that um, they and people who've had experience with dealing with things. Uh, know that a gun won't stop it, but it will slow it down. Mm. Uh, so if you've got one, especially if it's imitating something, like if it's imitating a dog and you shoot it, it's going to plausibly act like a dog until um, it can no longer do that. Right. So 
there's an aspect to, to the things in this film which doesn't necessarily get carried through to the prequel and that's they don't attack you in their native form unless there's no one else around like when they only do it when they're not observed mm-hmm. when they're confident that they can get away with the transformation the attack and then converting you yeah so if it's in the image of a dog as it's running yeah um, then when they shoot it that will either make it be oh no i'm a dog i'm 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 hurt or it will force it to transform right the men dive for cover as gary breaks the glass the gunner pursues the dog gary shoots the man in the eye um is gary aiming for the eye it seems like gary would know what he's doing with a gun yeah, in 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 his backstory, he's a, he's an old army man, and uh, he was a sharpshooter, right. and has sort of um, sort of come to this base to retire peacefully. Right. And um, yes, he probably could have shot to wound this guy, but he is an army person with army instincts sort of baked in, and. Right. The sort of vibe is that here's a man attacking his men. You've got to take him out as quickly as possible. Mm. It's uh, I, I quite like from there's a little twitch from the corpse, which is just kind of gross. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So on 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 how I did, um, I think yeah, like I said, I think both of the things that I said half happened in a way. Uh, okay fine yes that was a... <laughs> uh, uh in case you missed it uh, every time one of us says the word thing and it's not the title of the film the podcast or the creature itself we have a bell to uh punish the other person with <laughs> <laughs> so uh I, I i think both situations happened in a mm. way but not entirely uh, so there was a scuffle with one of the norwegians mm-hmm. um and shooting and there was indeed some sort of helicopter m- mishap but it was the helicopter exploding because of a grenade <laughs> rather than them taking off in the helicopter and it crashing yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure personally I would give you that since you've specifically called it a crash, but let's let the listener at home decide. Mm. The men go to check Bennings. I um, I think it's a nice touch here that, that McCready, even while he was diving for safety in the snow, kept his scotch safe. I didn't notice that. Yeah, it doesn't spill a drop, and then he gives it to <laughs> Bennings, who uh, takes a crafty swig from it. Right. Gary inspects his handiwork. Gary comes out in the snow to check that the man is dead. He is very dead. Yes, extremely. The men put out the helicopter fire uh, by stomping on it and spraying it with fire extinguishers. Clark steadies the unsettled dog. So something I've always wondered is that if you were in this situation and you were trying to think, why on earth would these Norwegians be going after and shooting this dog? Would it not cross your mind that the dog might have some sort of terrible disease that and needs urgently to be put down before he spreads the disease? 
Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, but if you look at it from their perspective, you've got to remember that they were just having an ordinary morning and mm. the whole world has gone strange. Like a helicopter flew in, shot some people, shot a dog, mm. there were explosions. Um, the dog seems fine. Like it seems like yeah. a perfectly ordinary dog. Spoilers. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's something else about the dog as well, which we'll get to in a little while. I, I, I guess I'm just saying maybe I'd put the dog somewhere else. Mm. Yeah, that is a mistake that comes back to haunt them. Yeah. Uh, the dog here is uh, Jed. Um, he was their sort of primary filming dog. Uh, he's a wolf dog, which is a wolf Malamute hybrid. Uh, this is his first film role, and he appears in some other Disney films, White Fang and White Fang 2. They would probably be better films if they featured shape-shifting aliens, but maybe I'm just biased? I think you're just biased. Might just be biased. Uh, Richard Mazur here is playing Clark, and um, he was most interested, when given the cast list, in playing Clark because he thought there was something interesting about him, about the way that he's connected more to the animals of the base than the people. I mean, Clark is another person here who you see who isn't, doesn't seem comfortable in the company of the men of outpost 31. Mm-hmm. First goddamn week of winter. So McCready there is summarizing for us that maybe this is a bad time for this to be happening. Yeah. Uh, or I, I, yeah, I wasn't sure what to take away from that line was, he implying that bad stuff tends to happen during winter in the base, and like bad stuff is already happening. I, I'm, I'm not. I'm not sure where I'm going with this sentence. I, I think. It, I think it could be a little of both. That mm. um, uh, Antarctic winter is very bad. Citation needed. Mm. Um, but I think what he's implying here is that if anything crazy was to happen, the worst time for it to happen is during Antarctic winter because they're so isolated. Mm. I think it's another way of just sort of underscoring the distance they have from everybody else. Right. Fun Antarctic winter fact. Uh, it's tradition now um, uh, in Antarctic bases when the summer crews leave and the winter crews are settling in to, uh, to watch the thing on the first night. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I did not know that. Bennings gets stitched up. Now, um, did you... Uh, Bennings gets stitched up kind of sounds like a Cockney phrase, maybe. Um, but it's literally true, though, in this case. Uh, did you notice anything interesting about Doc Copper in this shot? No. He's got a little nose ring. Like, you, you, you can only really see it once you're looking for it, because most of it, the time it looks kind of skin colored i mean i honestly didn't notice this until i got the thing on blu-ray mm. uh, which was slightly higher quality but yeah he's he's got a nose ring in interesting yeah i'd never noticed that before yeah it was just a choice of the actors to add a little flair to the character windows calls for help on the radio but they can't reach anyone now this i think is again setting up their total isolation from everybody else yeah and uh, it's always useful in this kind of thing when you do have a watertight reason for being out of contact with everyone mm. um 
I was wondering what, how you actually do communicate in Antarctica, or at least how you would have done in 1982, and whether there would actually be reliable methods to communicate in this sort of situation or not. Uh, in the um, in the 80s, it would have just been radio, of course, mm. um, and. I can see situations where there are storms which are so powerful that you can't transmit through them. I'm not an expert, of course, but I think one of the things you can do with radio is transmit further than is that it might be easier to transmit to someone that's much further away than something that's close by. Right. Um, in the script, there are two further things here, which I think got cut for time. And that's um, they don't have a geostationary satellite which would let them stay in contact all the time uh, because there isn't there isn't value to the national science institute in putting one above putting one above their antarctic base yeah um, and also a sort of they don't really follow through with it in the film at all but the sort of implication that windows maybe isn't the best radio operator in the world sure. i mean you do you do see him asleep later on but um yes yeah he, i i don't think he's Maybe the best at his job, I don't know. The men discuss the situation. So um, I think this is an interesting way of setting up all their little personalities because you haven't really seen them all talking to each other until this point. Yeah. Knowles is there being irreverent. I mean, he, he skates in and says, maybe we're at war with Norway. Yeah, the roller skates sure are a choice. <laughs> yeah, I I can't find any information about them. I, I I don't know whether they're a um an a choice of the actor or whether they It's it is interesting that some are kind of portrayed as more friendly with each other, some are portrayed more uh, that strictly colleagues or don't like each other much. Mm, mm. You do yeah. get a sense of some of the relationships going on there. Yeah, exactly. And um I, I thought it was also interesting to see Palmer just getting high in front of everybody else. <laughs> David Clennon, the actor in Palmer's, he came up with Palmer's backstory with John Carpenter and they, they sort of wanted to get across the impression that he'd gotten out of rehab and now he's an engineer who's being trained as a pilot and he's just trying to get his life back on track. Right. Which may not pan out for him overall. Yeah. The men decide to go and help the Norwegians. Now, I, I was thinking about the synopsis I read out in the first episode and um, how it says uh, that the camp doctor like helps them in the fight. And I was like, really? I mean, I'm sure. But, uh, but no, it's, it's really true. If Doc Copper hadn't insisted they go to the Norwegian base, they would have had so much less information about what was going on. I mean, uh, they wouldn't have known that there was something suspect with the dog and it probably would have assimilated them all while they slept one at a time. So yeah, yeah good on you, Doc Copper. Well done. They find kerosene cans in the helicopter wreckage. They decide to fly to the Norwegian base in the helicopter. So this this is just two people who have gone in the helicopter, right? Yeah, it's the the two people who are flying are McCready and Doc Copper, who are mm -hmm. going to the Norwegian base to check things out. Uh, McCready is unconvinced that this is a great idea because he says, you know, if we get caught in a whiteout, we'll die. And fun fact, while they were filming in Alaska, they did get caught in a whiteout while flying in the helicopter. 
Um, <laughs> and yeah, John Carpenter was saying, I, we couldn't see anything. It was like being inside a, a white ball and the helicopter pilot was like, well, what we'll do is we'll land and we'll, we'll sleep here in the helicopter overnight. Uh, but, but fortunately, just after that, the storm cleared. They managed to get away. Uh, in the script, they briefly consider taking the dogs, uh, but it's too far to get there and back, especially with the storm coming in, which they're constantly mentioning the threat of the storm at this point. Okay. The dog lurks under a table. There's nice foreshadowing here, I think, of like, A, something is wrong with the dog, and B, mm-hmm. that the camp staff have kind of forgotten about it. Yeah. Like, the dog's just under the table. Nobody's paying any attention to it. Everyone else is too caught up in what might have happened to the Norwegians. What might they have done to their own people? Yeah. Nobody's really thinking about the dog. The first time that the music returns as well, I noticed. Yeah, that's true. That's true. The light motif. Is that right? I guess uh, it, uh, a light mo- motif would usually be uh, more melodic and used in lots of different ways and kind of recontextualized in lots of different ways, like how you get the force theme in Star Wars just used in a lot of different kind of ways and like inserted in different contexts. Uh, this is more just, it's used kind of in the same way. Um, and it, it, it's the, kind of the same bit of music every time that it crops up so i wouldn't quite call it a, a light motif oh damn I, I was hoping to get another an, another musical term used in the correct context point but no nope. not this keep, time keep trying the helicopter takes off so um interestingly as you pointed out there's two people in the helicopter mccready and doc copper um McCready's in the pilot seat and the doc is in the co-pilot seat next to him. Uh, did you notice that he was carefully arranged so that you can't see his face? Um, no. It's, this is because the um, the doc in the co-pilot seat is really the actual helicopter pilot helping ah. Kurt Russell get the helicopter off the ground. Um, just after he takes off, he actually gives Kurt Russell full solo control of the helicopter and you can see it wobble in mid <laughs> as he does that. Nice. Um, fun fact, after all these uh, exciting trips in helicopters, John Carpenter became a qualified helicopter pilot. All right. Did that ever <laughs> become of use in any subsequent shoots? Uh, I hope so. Right. Uh, sorry, I've, I've got a no- note here as well, which I don't, I don't know what to do with, which is just danger tail rotor. <laughs> it was just on the screen for so long that I wrote it down as a note. <laughs> Uh, I imagine if a helicopter around you is on, you probably want to stay as clear from all of those little spinny bits as possible. Yeah, the, the sign almost feels like overkill, really, because yeah, I'm not getting anywhere near anything that even looks like it might spin. <laughs> Sliced to ribbons. We cut to nighttime in the camp. Knowles is listening to music. Now, uh, uh, he's listening to uh, Superstitious and... That's what they got in the theatrical release, but they had licensing issues for the home video release, and it got replaced with One Chain Don't Make No Prison by The Four Tops. All right. Uh, I think you have told me that one before, which oh, just goes to show oh, the the depths of facts that I've absorbed over the years about this film. <laughs> uh, I feel like you probably remembered that one more because it was about music. Yes, that's true. That is my thing. Um. Did you notice that Knowles doesn't actually turn down the volume after he's told to? 
I I do remember that. Although, the, uh, yes, uh, the way that I remember it, and I was wondering whether it was just the way that the video that we were watching is normalized. The way that I remembered that bit is that it actually gets turned up. <laughs> Maybe normalization. I mean, he doesn't touch the controls. So. Yeah. <laughs> but yes. We pan through the empty halls of the base. Mm. I think it's just a just an interesting series of shots here because without the context, it seems like an almost weird overemphasis on the emptiness of the base at yeah. that point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the good thing about doing this podcast is it's drawing my attention as someone who loves this film and is very familiar with this film to shots and things which normally I glaze over or um, you know I have the thing on as in the background and i'm doing something else so i only really pay attention to it when someone's talking and this silent pan through empty laboratories and empty kitchens and yeah it really does sort of ramp up the why are they doing this why 30 seconds of solid footage of empty rooms as you say out of context it's kind of baffling but i think it really works the dog appears looking for something Jed the dog uh, was a very smart dog. Um, he was very good at not looking at the camera or the cameraman during the long dolly shots here. Like so, as they move through, so he has to move. He has to walk up the corridor, look through, stop, look through a door, move up the corridor again, stop, look through a door, enter the room, and they do that all in one shot, which for a dog is incredible. Apparently, this is like the third or fourth take. So once he knew what they wanted could just get it done. Probably a shape-changing alien instead of a dog. Mm. Mm. Maybe? I don't know. We see a silhouette of a man on the wall. The dog walks into the room with him. Right. Whose shadow do you think it is on the wall? Um, okay, so who I think that is the silhouette of is Norris. Right. There's. Um, you've struck at the nerve of a lot of controversy there. People think it's either norris or palmer okay um, because i guess of the sort of curly hair yeah um, both of whom turn out in the film later to be things mm. so i mean it's a, it's a safe bet isn't it yeah what, what's your opinion at this point um without using all of my accumulated thing knowledge i think it's norris okay. i think it's Nor- norris's silhouette it's actually dick warlock's silhouette okay Dick Warlock is the stunt coordinator, and I need to get it out of the way now. He has the best name. It is... Um, it's quite a name, isn't it? It's... I want a name that implies the existence of genital sorcery. Yes, it's... It's the name of a, possibly a stunt coordinator, possibly a porn star. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's funny you brought that up because he actually was a porn star in early life. Ah, and just didn't change the name. Right. No, no, that's that's not true. I'm sorry. That might actually that might actually be slander. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, he, no, he wasn't. Of course, um, he was an actor and a stuntman. Um, he's most famous uh, for playing Michael Myers in Halloween Three. You haven't seen Halloween, have you? Uh, I, I think I've seen some of the first Halloween in the background. Michael Myers is the bad man. Okay. Uh, Dick Warlock was Kurt Russell's personal stuntman for over 25 years. So that, that's explaining his presence in this film. Okay. Uh, he retired in 2002. 
But why wouldn't they just use the silhouette of whoever actually was supposed to be? Ah, that's a good point. Uh, so that you didn't know who was infected at this point in the film. It was a deliberate choice to not use any of the main cast. Uh, okay. So you um, you wouldn't recognize them. Well, then guessing based on silhouette is just useless. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, apparently, John Carpenter used uh, David Clennon, who plays Palmer, um, as the silhouette, but his silhouette was too recognizable, so they replaced him with Dick Warlock in a pickup shot. Fair enough. Well, we, we know that it's someone with hair, so it's not Bennings. <laughs> um, it, it's not the Doctor. Yeah, that's true. Uh, it's not Charles, either. That's true. It's not Charles. So, so we've we've narrowed it down to nine people. So here's here's an interesting thing that I'm going to ask you from now on so so prepare your brain this is uh, uh i i want i want your infection timeline as stuff is happening so who's okay. infected and when so keep an eye out for that sort of stuff so uh, yeah i'm gonna say at this point it's heavily implied at least that whoever we think that silhouette is is now infected absolutely um, so uh so i'm gonna say norris is infected at this point we cut to the helicopter swooping across the ice and we stop, and it's a weird place to leave it, but that's how I've chosen to do this podcast, so that's where it ends. Uh, a helicopter flying above ice. Yes. What do you think happens next, Peter? I'm fairly confident with this one, so unless it just immediately goes back to the base again, and more stuff happens there, which I don't think it does, then we're going to see the helicopter uh, land at the base, and we're going to see that it's quite it has been on fire. It, it, it maybe bits of it still are on fire, but it's mostly mm. out, and it looks like it's pretty wrecked. That that's what I think happens next. So you're saying they land at the wrecked Norwegian camp? Yes. All right. Well, I've made a note of that, and we'll check next time how correct you are. Ooh. Yeah. So, as is tradition now, one time is a tradition. I must ask you how you enjoyed those eight minutes of film. Uh, I did enjoy those eight minutes of film, yes. Uh, I think it just did some good additional establishment of the characters. I think it... um, I think the nice thing about it is that it just doesn't immediately get into things going bad. It it, it tries to restore a kind of semblance of normality to things. Mm. And we just kind of see all of the crew acting kind of normal for a bit apart from that they've just had this weird situation happen with just little tense moments uh hinting at you there's just something odd about the dog but not telling you what that is yet good good i I agree with everything you said so um i guess we'll watch the next eight minutes next time so let's discuss where we can be found well well usually we say where we can find the internet where can you be found in real life where are you right now what does your phone say your gps coordinates are no this this um, is a no this is a terrible idea why am i doing where can you be found on the internet peter yeah i like this more um i can be found on twitter my username is kestrel pie that's kestrel like the bird and pie like the irrational number oh you've practiced that um and I can be found on Twitter as Kieran J. Walsh, again, because that is simply my name for identity theft reasons. I should get a handle. Mm. Uh, anyway, um, 
It's been lovely having you, and I will see you next time. Goodbye, everyone. Goodbye. Goodbye.